The purpose of the copper tubing in the Amon Brothers device, first of all, they lead into a coil of tubes, of, of a copper tubing. And the purpose of it is to encourage the skin effect at low frequency. Normally you don't get the skin effect in copper wire except at high frequency and or high voltage. But because of the presence of the iron winding suppressing higher frequencies due to its hysteresis, which uh, I believe, if I understand correctly, means a lag, a time lag, um, causing, I guess, higher frequencies to get all jumbled up and mashed and smushed into nothing. And uh, no, time lag, that would slow, that would uh, be the equivalent of slowing down a frequency. I see, okay. So it, it creates this breaking action, which um, <clears throat> I think Dollard uh, corrected Adrian Marsh and said it impeded higher frequencies. So only low frequencies are going to be allowed. <clears throat> and for some reason or another, we want to encourage the skin effect on the copper winding. See, I think what the, the Amon brothers did was they took the, Amon, they, they took the patent of Nathan Stubblefield and from there went off on their own tangent. And I would imagine what they did was, okay, what does he have? He has one copper winding, bifilar wound with an iron winding. And they, they took that and they said, okay, that's fine. But, and then there's a load coil on top. Well, let's get rid of that because it's too complicated. Let's just deal with the simple concept and see where, where, how we can tweak it to go off in some other direction that he did not go off into. At least... <laughs> What was obvious, uh, what, what was stated in the patent, maybe he did other things later. Obviously, we don't know what he did later. Technically, we, we only know stories of the effect, not the cause of what he managed to develop uh, later on in life. Anyway, so they took that and they threw away the load coil. And then they said, okay, the soil is aluminosilicates. So there's aluminum there in the circuit, pr provided by being buried under the roots of an old oak tree. So we've got aluminum, we've got silicates, we've got iron, which is decomposing into iron oxide. We've got uh, copper winding covered with a cloth, probably doped with some kind of insulating material. Beeswax, rosin, rosin, I don't know, whatever, shellac, natural shellac. It was 100 years ago. So the winding's there, the two windings, and there's aluminum. But it's aluminum silicate, which is not pure aluminum. So if you had an aluminum uh, sheeting and it was oxidized, do you know what uh, aluminum oxide is? It's a dielectric. In fact, in certain capacitors, aluminum is used as the dielectric, which I'm not quite sure how they managed to pull that off. Um, maybe because it's a floating plate, I suppose. <laughs> a virtual ground. In any case... Um, Interestingly enough, that's the soil. The ground is aluminum silicate, aluminum silicate. So I would suspect they could create their own version just by oxidizing a, sh a sheet of aluminum that's been barrel uh, curved into a barrel shape, oxidized both sides, and now they've got a dielectric. See, so I have to look at this the right way, and that's what makes all the difference. So... Okay, one way was to call the aluminum a virtual ground, but another way to call it now that it's been oxidized is to call it a dielectric.
because once it's oxidized, definitely it's a dielectric. The surface is a dielectric, regardless of what can, what function the aluminum, the pure aluminum underneath may serve. The surface of that aluminum, the oxidized aluminum, is going to service the circuit as a dielectric. So now we've got a dielectric in between an iron winding on the outside, the barrel, you know, that's in the picture, the photograph of the Amon Brothers device uh, strapped to the front end of their electric car in 1921 in Denver, Colorado. The outside winding is iron. The inside winding is, I'm guessing, is copper tubing to encourage the skin effect at low frequencies because the iron winding is suppressing high frequencies and allowing only lower frequencies to occur. Um, and the aluminum oxide in between is the dielectric. So we got a capacitor. We got a capacitor. We've got coils. We've got ourselves an LRC circuit of a sort, <laughs> of a type. <laughs> but we have the basics. We have an oscillating circuit. Now, what I suspect, in addition to all of this, I had another hunch just now, is that the circuit is incomplete and it's designed, it's, it's intended to be incomplete on purpose. Why? Because if you complete an over-unity reactive circuit, react, uh, circuit based on reactive power giving you over-unity, it's going to explode in your face. That's all I've ever done for seven years is explode circuits under simulation. So, what if you take out a piece a very intrinsic, important piece, and you put it in the load. And now you've got feedback. You've got a kind of reverb feedback situation in which the circuit is dependent on the load to give it the missing piece that would have caused it to explode, but now it's in the load, so it can't explode. So the load acts as a brake. It impedes exponential over unity, growth to infinite oblivion or self-destruction of the circuit. This is the kind of... See, there, how many different ways are there to correct to, to, for the explosive character of electricity? Because that's the essential nature of electricity, is that it wants to explode. It's not the way we use it. We put a bit and bridle like uh, we're training a wild stallion to behave and be a workhorse in... in uh, for, uh, you know, and, and, and give a steady eddy uh, <laughs> frequency and voltage. But it doesn't want to do that. It wants to explode. And once in a while it does, despite all our best, best efforts to prevent it. It either goes comatose or it explodes because that's its nature. It either gets overwhelmed by resistance and goes comatose or it, it uh, explodes. So... The only way I've found up till now to regulate this explosive character of the wild stallion fundamental nature of electricity is to use the properties of the golden ratio embodied among the mutual inductances, the three mutual inductances of five coils grouped in three sets. Yet, here might be another way to regulate a circuit and to prevent it from exploding is to not make the power station a complete unit a, fu a fully functional complete unit and instead take out an intrinsic feature that is required and put it in the load so that you have to have a load in order for the circuit to run so that they um, communicate with each other and so now the power station is completed and it can operate and give you over unity and generate power 
but in a regulatory stance because it's the load that is that contains that embodies the missing ingredient that we took out of the power station and put in the load and it's it makes perfect sense to me because it's totally intelligent and yet simple at the same time it doesn't require any fancy schmancy golden ratio blah 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 it's simply what do you do when um, well I better not go there <laughs> what do we have we have mommy and we have daddy <laughs> we don't have the prior yuga in which a yogi could manifest and materialize his son to be his disciple to carry on his 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 branch of yoga uh, uh, after he's uh, dead um, we, we don't have that purity of awareness in, on this planet at this time and so we have mommy and daddy and so each is functionally unique to do what the other cannot do and together they make a pair and they make a, they make a unit to make the household complete and now you can have babies all you want or not or whatever but you've got a partnership that works because you've <clears throat> You've specialized people. So now the load is more than just a specialization to consume energy, and the power station is more than just a specialization to generate it. Now you've got the load breaking the, um, and, and, and acting as a regulator for the generator. And normally that's not the case. In our, uh, but in but for overunity it works I think I think it would be a nice simple elegant way to solve the problem that's been in front of my face for seven years now oh yeah I, I can create an overunity circuit but damn it I can't keep it from exploding <laughs> it's not easy in Paul Falstad's simulator it was easy but that's a whole nother universe in the Berkeley Spice family of simulators that are much more popular um, and commonplace derivatives thereof um, it's very hard to prevent explosion if you're going to get any over unity out of it you're going to get an explosion over unity and rather than a nice regulated over unity so how do you deal with that I think this is the way to do it in, in a generic sense you know it doesn't describe the details because the the Amman brothers is just an example but I'm trying to also generalize for the general case the, the, the broad uh, description of what is entailed here. Now, in an electromechanical watt-hour meter, which used to be popular back in the day, not too long ago, they were phased out a decade ago, um, there's a C-magnet that acts as a braking mechanism for the perforated aluminum disc that's busy spinning around because if the C-magnet wasn't there, with the two terminals of the C, the two endpoints on either side, on opposite sides facing each other across the uh, depth or, or the height, the, 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 you know, the thickness of the perforated aluminum disc, that aluminum disc would spin to infinite oblivion. It would just want to keep speeding up. I mean, literally, an electromechanical water meter is capable of overunity. It doesn't produce a whole lot of torque, a whole lot of you know, wattage or horsepower, just a tiny little disc. Yet, it wants to spin to overunity. It wants to spin to infinite oblivion, if not for the action of the sea magnet. And I read that in the handbook, the electrical, uh, meter, the meter man's handbook for 1912. Um, it had all kinds of meters in there 
and the model among the various uh, meters that I managed to purchase 10 years ago from uh, eBay was the I-10 from 1910 and it was covered in the 1912 edition, I believe it was, that I bought. It was like the last hard copy, or the only one. Um, and reading about that particular model, the General Electric I I-10, it helped describe the various parts and what their functions were. And it didn't throw a whole lot of math at you, like you know the Meter Man Handbook of today. You know, it's it's uh, ongoing publication. Every year they come out with a new edition. So they haven't gone out of business, but they've changed the way they approach describing the situation to the meter man. Instead, now they just throw a ton of math at you right away. There, there, uh, they were more conceptual and more humanistic. They, they talked to you, you know, like a human being talking to another human. So you could, <laughs> it was a little easier to understand, for, especially from my point of view, since I'm not formally trained. So... They were able to describe the parts, some of them, and how they function, and that was very important to me, is that that magnet, that they stated that. They were openly admitting that the device would be over unity without the C magnet. It would destroy itself without that C magnet in place. So the C magnet is a magnetic load that's adding, I guess, uh, well, it, 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 it's uh, it resistive torque in a sense. Resistance to the torque that's that 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 is building up in that uh, perforated aluminum disc, causing it to spin faster and faster. In any case, um, so we already have instances of overunity, even though it's not made to be practical for for generating power, but it generates a signal, and it's an ever-escalating uh, frequency generator in a sense. So you you can almost say it's a frequency generator. That's interesting. That wants to go to higher and higher frequencies, which basically higher frequencies means it embodies higher and higher potential energy. Because that's what frequency means, is potential energy, or another way to interpret <laughs> what a frequency implies. Anywho, I'm getting off topic. Um, so, I think that's what the load is that you always have to have some load nearby. Well, no, no, no. See, that's, that's the beauty of the thing. You don't have to have anything. In the case of the Iman brothers, all you need is the power station. If you don't have a load, then nothing's going to happen because the circuit is incomplete. So it can't generate anything unless a load is provided. Not only does it manage to uh, spoof or turn on the generator to generate, the power station to generate, but it also regulates it at the same time. So it acts, it's beautiful, two-in-one functionality. So you can't go wrong with a power station like that. You can't get electrocuted when you build it because it will not be fully functional if you don't have a load nearby. That's, that's just uncanny. It's just beautiful because that's been one of my concerns. That's why I've been holding off for seven years to build anything because I know I'd electrocute myself because I, when I, whatever I simulate, if I built that, I'd screw myself. I'd be very hard to assemble the parts without <laughs> blow, the whole thing blowing up before I even, uh, oh God, get anywhere with it. So this kind of an insight it making, is helping to make me feel hopeful that the Amon brothers have a very good beginner's device. For those of us who know nothing about overunity when it comes to building anything, just because I know a lot about theory doesn't mean I know how to build it.
and that's a whole other realm. It, it, you know, theory just prepares me somewhat, but not completely. I have to be safe about what I do, or else I ain't going to do it. Because my intuition is keep selling, you're going to kill yourself. You know, <laughs> if you if you build any uh, any of these things that you've simulated, and I'm not interested in what other people do. I'm only interested in what I do, what I study, what I focus on. So the Amon Brothers is a useful study tool for us beginners to get our feet wet with something safe that might be safe. Uh, yeah, I have to put in the word might there. <laughs> May be safe um, if we exclude all possibilities of loads nearby the workstation. You know, we push it far away. So we have to isolate the lab so that there are no loads no nearby. No electrical no, uh, uh, electrical loads nearby. Light will have better be candlelight or a gas lantern, you know? Nice and electrically safe. So that when we assemble the thing, nothing weird will happen that we might regret once our ghost is on the other side, <laughs> separated from our body. We won't have something to regret. regret. Hey, why is that my body over there lying down smoking? <laughs> why am I standing over here? What's that? That likeness of me. <laughs> what is that? Oh my God! That was my former body. <laughs> okay, we don't want that to happen. So, because <laughs> that's... The <laughs> okay, enough said. Um, so let's see. <clears throat> so what I think what happens, because I think the, the two... Um, copper globes on either end of the copper tubing serve multiple purposes. They serve as virtual grounds. They serve as um, short, shorted loops that create a self-short. Um, and But yet there's two of them. Now normally when you have two it means you you don't have, you don't get to ground the earth because if I use the Hertz uh, spark transmitting uh, circuit uh, for reference, that thing developed over time to incorporate various variations that either had a single ground plus an aerial, or else it had two aerials serving as grounded to the air. And that's what the Amon Brothers looks like. It's grounded to the air. It's, it's a mobile unit you know, strapped to the front end, uh, front end of their electric vehicle, which does not re require an earth ground. So it's got a floating ground in a sense. Well, it already has the floating ground. Is the aluminum sheeting in between? If we speculate that it's there, since we can't see it. Um, but the the coil needs terminuses, and it it's not. It's an open coil. Um, there's probably an ionic channel in between those uh, tubes because they're bare. You know, everything here is bare except for the aluminum that's oxidized. That's the only one that's insulated. The iron is bare. The copper is bare. So you've got all these ions flowing around and magnetic fields. Um, so you've got a, basically an electrostatic charge of moving ions, which is not... It's semi-electrostatic because there are ions in motion. Um, is so uh, it's uh, just short of turning into lightning. You know, we don't want it to turn into lightning, so it has to be low voltage. 
um, there has to be the correct gap to get the ionization to work but not to arc. So you wouldn't want them very close together and that's what they did. They, they kept things separated. So the coil, the copper tubing coil that I'm surmising is on the inside is probably spaced apart. And that would be a proper Tesla coil according to the old days. In, you know, the basket weave structure that it's wound, that such a coil is wound on to space, to give a spacer among each uh, winding so that they're not adjacent to each other. Like modern day Tesla coils, everything is packed together tightly except for the primary. Uh, but the secondary is packed tightly. Uh, the primary, I believe, has some spacing to it and it's very often made of copper tubing. Um, so it's kind of like a Tesla coil, except here the secondary is iron winding. <laughs> it's a little weird. It's, but it, you could say it's a variation on that theme, I suppose. Um, any case, <laughs> not quite, but sort of. Uh, yeah, and then the load, see, on a Tesla coil you put a top load, which is the aluminum sphere. Here, it's the load that's distant from the thing. See, so, and, and of course the load is, has to be an iron coil with iron rebar or something similar adjacent to it. Those are the requirements for the receiving coil to pick up the energy from the power station because this is all about wireless transfer of energy, which is probably utilizing the earth but also making use of the grid. I suspect it's he made use of the grid whether or not he was aware of it, whether or not he admitted to it. And I think to keep the thing a secret, I think that's why he did not object to the charge. Uh, for his arrest when he went to Washington, D.C. and they charged him with stealing energy from the grid because it's partly true, partly not true. He would be contributing to the grid, he'd be taking from the grid, he'd be disrupting the grid most significantly. And that's really the only clear way to go about describing what he did. And so I, I think maybe he did the right thing by keeping his mouth shut um, because then he'd just get more, into more trouble if he said, well, no, that's not exactly right, Your Honor, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, oh, uh, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I'm speculating, obviously. Um, so I think uh, maybe this helps us to try to grapple and grope with the mystery behind the Amon Brothers device and how maybe, if anything, does it relate to Nathan Stubblefield's device. I'm pretty sure they're related. Um and possibly how it might be, uh, this Amon device might be, this speculation of mine might be related to the story going around about Tesla's trimetal generator, which would be a different version. A version we have no idea what it looks like, except that it's shrunk down to the size of a notebook and the shape and size of a notebook. <clears throat> which is pretty awesome, to put it mildly, but you know, Tesla, he. he he was a, a, an aficionado and uh, very good at uh, raising the bar of efficiency. So it's not unlikely that that story is not true. That's a double negative. Well, I got it from a friend who was there. <laughs> so I, I, I'm getting this. You're getting it from me secondhand. So now you're thirdhand. Um, no. Uh, no, I'm secondhand. Right. Yeah, I'm, I got it from first-hand observation. So I, I have to take it as being real and legit. Regardless of anybody namelessly might claim that it's a myth, um, 
it's only a myth in the, insofar as we don't have much information on it. That's the only way to predicate such a statement that it's a myth. Uh, because I did get it from a first party witness, a first uh, somebody who was there, an observer, um, and somebody who's trustworthy, I, who I know is trustworthy. Anyway, so these are my speculations for the moment in this podcast. I hope they help entertain you. Usually that's all they ever do to most people um, <laughs> who follow along. Um, but for what it's worth, you know, put it out there and it helps record my thoughts So because I forget everything that comes through my brain. I don't hold on to anything, really. Um, I become a dummy shortly afterwards, you know. I may sound really smart and sharp, but in reality I'm a dummy and I'm, I, I think I'm just a voice box for some source, you know, that's feeding me this shit. And I don't know, you know, boo. You know, a year later, wow, what is that? What, what was I saying? What does that mean? You know, everybody thinks I'm smart, right? But I don't think so. No, that's probably why I'm not an electrical engineer because then I'd have to be smart, right? No, I'm not. I'm just a channel for all this shit to come through me and uh, present it for your edification, entertainment, or whatever you want to make of it. Um, I would hopefully like to build something. That's true. But, you know, I, it's hard for me to focus on something, you know, because I it's hard for me to trust that something is worth my pursuing it. I'm in no position to pursue anything in the moment, so this is all preparatory the last seven years up till now. But, um, you know, my last attempts before I uh, got into this uh, position that I'm in now where I can't build anything, for a short time I built something and it didn't work because it was too hard, too complicated. Because the theory, the theoretical circuit was too advanced for me to even guess how to build it. So it is important to go down to square bones, basics, and really simple stuff. And what is this? 140 years ago, Nathan Stubblefield, and 100 years ago, the Amon brothers. That's um, that's going back to really basic stuff. And the electromechanical water meter. That's a kind of distant cousin to all of this, because it's all simple stuff. Stuff that they would have understood, and we as beginners might have a chance of understanding because there's no tubes involved there's no um, what's the other thing um, transistors you know nothing that's more advanced that came along later you know half a century later or more um, or less more or less uh, vacuum tubes I'm not sure when they came into vogue I think they were a hundred no yeah yeah shortly after the dawning of uh, crystal radios a hundred years ago tubes almost immediately started to get in use but they might have been fabricated prior to that. I can't remember. I don't, I don't know. I'd have to look that up. When were vacuum tubes invented or put to use? Anyway, I guess I've said enough. Now I'm just yada yada ying, <laughs> blah blahing. So um, better sign off. <laughs>